0: morning, church. Uh, November continues to be our uh, missions-focused month. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we had Grant Haynes from uh, Global Frontier Missions down in Atlanta, and he gave a powerful uh, overview of the biblical basis for missions, uh, going back from Genesis all the way through to uh, Revelation. Following that, we had a prayer dinner for our missionaries, where we spent time praying for our missionaries all over the world. And this morning it's a privilege to have uh, Tom Noctergale from uh, Belgium uh, speak to us this morning. Uh, Tom's uh, in Belgium, but uh, he's also in the uh, broader European context, uh, being involved with the uh, Presbytery there in uh, Europe. Incidentally, um, Tom went to a seminary around about the same time, a, a young Tennessean hood from... Uh, um, uh attended named Dennis Griffith, and uh, he and his gang of uh, pre-millennials used to roam the uh, halls of uh, RTS. Um, as you can see, despite a couple of altercations, both have turned out well. Tom went to Europe, and Dennis is no longer a pre-millennial. So, anyway, it's a uh, privilege to have Tom join us uh, this morning. Thank you, Tom, for bringing the word to us
1: the privilege is all mine it's great to be back lovely to be back uh, to see dennis and uh thank you for the many years of friendship that we have shared together um yeah i i i, I say this every time i come and i i i, um, when I stand before the church. churches you know we can't do what we do if it was not if we were not part of the church if we were not sent by the church, cared for by the church, prayed over by the church, and loved by the church. And so it's a real privilege, even though many of you don't know me so well, that I am uh, part of this body, of this greater body. And uh, it's a real privilege to be here. Um, before we go into the message, let me just briefly share a little bit about uh, the change that is occurring. Uh, in my calling, well, not so much in my calling, but in the role that I'm going to be doing. As you know, I used to be the regional director for Enterprise Europe and North America, uh, which is the Muslim division of Mission to the World. And so I have resigned from that division simply also because I felt that the role had kind of run its natural course and it was time for me to do something else. And so I have joined that 1826 network, which is part of MTW. It is a new division of MTW. And the focus of the 1826 network is turning your vocation into mission. And so the goal of the 1826 network is to make Christ known in every vocational context around the world. And uh, the 1826 name comes Of course, from Acts 1826, uh, where, um, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, uh, meet Apollos, of course, in Ephesus. And Paul meet Priscilla and Aquila actually in Corinth. And they, you know, they come, they come to Christ through Paul. And then Paul invites them to join them in Ephesus to become part of a church plant and for them to use their vocation as a place of influence. And through their vocation, they meet Apollos, and uh, Apollos uh, gets the fuller uh, message of the gospel, is baptized in the Holy Spirit and becomes, of course, a powerful preacher. Now, what exactly does the 1826 network do? Well, basically, it does three things. It connects, it coaches, and cares for vocational missionaries as they serve Christ globally. So, uh, what will my role be? In one sense, as uh, somebody who connects, I will be in charge of trying to promote 1826 as uh, uh, in Europe. And I will focus on primarily on, I will begin to focus primarily on the IPC, the International Presbyterian Church, um, of which I'm a, a co-opted member. And uh, I will try to help local churches in the IPC to become, to, to become receiving bodies for 1826 missionaries. But I will also try to help the IPC think through becoming a sending body, for 1826 people, that they will send professionals out with 1826 to serve across the world. So that would be one of my roles. And, uh, so I will focus on mission agencies in the U.S. and in Europe and interest as churches in Europe and the Middle East. So that's kind of my, my basic role. Uh, and uh, if you are interested, if you really more interested, uh, in 1826, I can give you my personal card and you can connect me because maybe some of you want to really serve and use your vocation as a way to support the churches locally or to support mission teams. The other thing I will do is I'll be involved in coaching. So I will develop and implement a a training schemata for self-directed, lifelong missionary learning because people that come with 1826, unlike us, we go through a vetting process that's uh, that's quite extensive, but an 1826 missionary has no opportunity to do that. When he uh, decides to go overseas in a job, he's employed, he's employed there. He needs to start working immediately there, but he may have specific needs that need attention because he does it cross-culturally. And so we're going to help coach people like that because we have the expertise and the knowledge to do that. And so resourcing and assisting local churches like yourself who would be sending missionaries uh, uh, and also making sure that when they are received by local churches abroad, that I can be a a connector, a coach between the two bodies. And then lastly, caring. Uh, You know, we provide pastoral care and encouragement for 1826 missionaries. And we try to help uh, or we try to resource local churches like yourself to help care for people that would be sent out from your church. So uh, at the moment, we have about 35 people on the field uh, with 1826. We have people in Bangladesh, in Chile, in Colombia. France, Japan, Mexico, the Netherlands, Romania, Scotland, South Africa, Switzerland, Taiwan, and several, and several secure locations. We anticipate that over the next five to seven years, we will triple that amount of people. There is a tremendous interest, especially about younger people to use their vocation to serve local churches or to serve with local mission teams abroad. So please, if you have any questions, Um, I will give you, I will leave my, my, my card with Dennis. You can talk to Ron to get my email address. I know that for some of you have said that you would like to receive my prayer letter, then please get my email address from Ron, and I will add you to the list. So, um, that's a little bit about the change. Um, I'm excited about the change. Um, uh, I don't have the management responsibilities anymore which is kind of nice and uh and so i look forward to see how the lord is going to use that ministry um greetings from my family my wife is not here she is uh, home with my daughter and our granddaughter in greenville south carolina so um it's also nice to see the belgian flag here not the german flag Sometimes people do a German flag. And uh I think this morning Belgium must play in Morocco. I don't know the score, don't tell me. So uh uh but root for Belgium. So so let's turn to God's word. Um guess who's coming for dinner is the title of the message. Uh and I'm going to uh read from Mark chapter two and I'm going to start actually in verse 1. And then read all the way through to verse 17. So here the word of the Lord. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together So that there were no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they, and when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening and let them down and let them, and let down the bed on which the paralytic lay, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, And he rose immediately and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went before them all. And said, they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Just imagine if we would be witnessing, you know, and if somebody was trying to dig a hole in your roof. You know, just an amazing story. And now we come to our text for this this morning. And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming with him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees went When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Oh, some water. Not that we're going to preach for two hours, but <laughs> I start with a, a, a little excerpt from uh, a Table Talk issue that was written September uh, uh, 2021 by Paul Levy, who is the senior pastor of the International Presbyterian Church in Ealing, London. And the title of the article is, Three Questions for Evangelism. He writes, and I quote, <clears throat> We keep sowing, planting the gospel seed. We actually, uh, we're actually aware that God gives the increase. It is his work, and we confidently rest in Jesus' promise that he will build his church. I do think, however, that times like this in church life should turn us outward to be thinking how we can reach out. God has placed us where we are, and, it is in, and, and he is in the different circumstances that we face and working in the lives of the people we know. If you are anything like me, you can be very shy in taking the relationship further in speaking about the gospel. But I have found it helpful recently to think of three questions that I hope you might be able to use in praying for and speaking with your friends. These questions are, would you like to come for dinner? Would you like to come to church? Would you like to read the Bible? Now the International Presbyterian Church is a strategic partner that we, MTW, have been working with for about 20 years now. And this European-based denomination goes back all the the way to Francis Schaeffer, uh, who had a vision to plant these Presbyterian churches alongside his Libri movement. And when we got connected with the IPC in the late 1990s, the denomination consisted about five struggling churches. Until the IPC, which has now become the flagship church of the denomination, hired a young pastor called Paul Levy. Today, IPC Ealing, his church, is about 150 plus strong and growing. And the UK presbytery now consists of 82 teaching uh, and ruling elders serving churches and church plant in England, Scotland, and the European continent. And this is exciting. Uh, You know, uh, when I started with MTW, they always talked about church planting movements. And in theory, that all sounded good. But I can really tell you, this is kind of like a church planting movement. And it's not because I've been involved with it, but it's because the Lord has been doing his work in the church and through the church. Now, this brings us to our text, Mark chapter 2, 13 through 17. Guess who's coming for dinner? Again, once again, Jesus is by the lake of Gennesaret. And a large crowd came to him. and He began to teach as he usually does. And as he walked alongside, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax collector's booth. And Jesus looked at him and said, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Now Mark, as you well know, is a short gospel. Uh, it's intensely practical. And... Uh, it focuses basically on the saving ministry of Jesus. It's not so much a biographical or chronologically put together, but it's put together around these theological themes. And Mark begins his gospel by highlighting the Galilean ministry of Jesus. Uh, in chapters And in chapters 2, he features five conflicts that happened between the Pharisees and Jesus. And the first conflict was introduced here in verses 1 through 12 uh, and uh, was introduced by a question. Verse 6 and 7. Now the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here's the question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now the second conflict is once again brought into the open by a question. The Pharisees ask Jesus a disciple, verse 16, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Now, in other words, the pivotal question today is not who can forgive sins, but the pivotal question today is who needs forgiveness of sins. And of course, we all need forgiveness of sins. And to deal with that question, I want to focus on Jesus and Levi, Jesus and Levi's friends, and Jesus and Levi's opponents. So first of all, Jesus and Levi, who needs forgiveness? Now, not very much is known about Levi. We know from from verse 14, his name, his occupation, And his brief interaction with Jesus. And on the surface. Levi's world may seem pretty ordinary. But that is far from the truth. So let me a little bit explain about his world. Now he was a Jewish tax collector. In the service of Herod. Who himself was subject to Roman rule. And, as a tax collector, he made a living by making a commission on the taxes he charged. But what often happened was that these tax collectors would overcharge and would actually become pretty wealthy because of it and so and most likely, Levi was a wealthy person and, and so uh, and so, on the one hand, it seems like You know, he may on the outside have been very happy, but on the inside, I'm sure his life must have been quite miserable because these men were hated for cheating and for their support of Rome. They were actually classed with the vilest of men. In some Jewish literature, these tax collectors were listed together with murderers and robbers. And so sure, was, sure Levi's profession had made him wealthy. On the one hand. But on the other hand. He was a complete outcast. Excommunicated from the synagogue. Excommunicated from the community. A disgrace to his family. So I'm sure in his private world. He must have felt the real burden of that. As he contemplated some of the decisions that he had made. But the decision, which had caused Levi to become wealthy on the one hand, and an outcast also, was now going to give him the opportunity to meet and follow Jesus. And by the time Jesus speaks to Levi, in all likelihood, uh, it is pretty pretty—I mean, common to say that Levi was already aware of who Jesus was, and the kind of people he associated with, because everyone who traveled to the city of Capernaum eventually had to pass by Levi's tax collector's booth. And we know from scripture that Jesus and the disciples traveled to to Capernaum quite often. So now, picture the scene. Levi is looking out from his tax booth and sees this large crowd Coming in his direction. And right away. He must be thinking. Well. There's only one person. That demands that kind of attention. And that is Jesus. And so all of a sudden. All attention is focused away from his booth. To the person of Christ. And so can you imagine. What must be going through his mind. Says boy I wish I could meet him. I mean he's not like these other Pharisees he's healed a leper a paralytic he even claims to forgive sins but I'm a tax collector and he is a Jew he's an important Jew he's a teacher he would never look at me he would never talk to me but then he notices the crowds coming closer and closer Jesus is now within reach He can see him, and then suddenly he hears his name. Levi, follow me. Stunned and surprised, he cannot believe it. Not only is Jesus calling him by his name. He called him by his name. But he's also inviting him now to become his follower. His disciple. Now the command to follow here in our text is much more than just a command to walk after somebody, but has the strong implication to imitate, to become like-minded, to become a disciple. And this kind of following was impossible without a radical change from within. It was impossible without the without the, 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 without regeneration from from the Holy Spirit. It is impossible without faith and repentance. And Jesus had made this very clear from the outset, as, Luke, as Mark records it in chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 14, 15, 16, and 17. Mark begins his gospel. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen, and he said, come and follow me. Repent and believe. Come and follow me. Now Jesus had met Levi in Levi's world in order to explain And to show him why he had come. Like the paralytic in the previous story. Levi heard words of mercy. Levi understood he was a sinner. In need of forgiveness. So Levi got up and became a follower of Jesus. He became a disciple of Jesus. And that day he walked away from his tax collector's booth. And he said goodbye to Rome. He said goodbye to Herod and to his wealth to become a disciple of Jesus the Christ. Now, maybe some of you are in the same situation Levi was in. You are caught up in a cycle of sin that you don't think you can get out of or that Jesus cannot overcome or redeem But that is a lie. Jesus can overcome every sin. And uh, I know that we all struggle with it. We all have our private sin that we struggle with. And Jesus says, come to me. Give it to me. You know, uh, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm gentle of heart. Come to me. Give it to me. And so, let Levi be your object lesson. Because on the one hand, in Levi, we see sin defined in all its power over him. But on the other hand, we meet Jesus who's able to overcome sin's power. He breaks the power of sin. Yes, the presence remains, but the power of sin is broken in him. Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call righteous, but sinners. So Jesus and Levi, who needs forgiveness, we all need it. Now for those who are following Jesus, who have come to Jesus in faith and repentance, how are you following? Remember, we don't follow a religious system. We follow a person. This brings us to my second point. Jesus and Levi's friends, how do we follow? While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Jesus had said, behold, the kingdom of God is near. But how does the kingdom draw near only if sinners repent and believe the good news and how are sinners confronted with the good news only when followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus go and seek them out spend time with them, and that is precisely what Levi does and how does he do it well very simply he reaches out to his friends, his tax collectors uh, the sinners by way of a party And the invitation reached, guess who's coming for dinner. His friends were social outcasts. He knew they were social outcasts. They were inferior to the Pharisees. And Jesus was not going to reach those people in the synagogues because they could not come to the synagogue. So Levi gives a great banquet to introduce them to Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, Levi understood and put several kingdom principles into practice. And the first kingdom principle is mixing with non-believers is essential to God's redemptive efforts. Jesus reminds them of this when he characterizes the people of God as salt and light. In Matthew five thirteen 13 to 16, we need to be salt. And salt, of course, is for tasting. It preserves. But the point is you need to touch it. Salt needs to touch it. He's telling the church, you need to touch people with the gift that has been given to you. You need to be salt. You need to be light. You need to reveal. You need to uh, be a guide. We have have the truth with us. Jesus lives in us. We have the word. We need to be salt and light. So one very important expression of following Jesus is to share your Jesus with your unbelieving friends. And hospitality is one way to expose your unbelieving friends and acquaintances to Jesus and the gospel. And hospitality is more than just cooking food. It is sharing about who you are. We all have a story to tell. We all we all have a narrative that we can share with our friends. And people you know, people want to know what what makes you different. Hospitality means introducing your friends, to your family, to where you, to where you live. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a beautiful way to share the gospel, to share what you have with others. Would you like to come for dinner is an easy question. And uh, would you like to, to share what I have? And this is precisely what Levi did. It's an easy thing to do. Now, another kingdom principle that Levi understood and which we, I don't know if forgetting is the right person, but we kind of want to forget about it because it's, a, it's not an easy thing to talk about, is that Jesus is the only one who can save sinners from eternal judgment. I know it's a very unpopular thing, and, uh, and it's not something that you want to right away share with people. But I remember when I became a Christian as a young adult in Frostburg. University that's the first thing that came to mind. Oh what what all these people that are not in Christ? And over the years that's kind of just you know that kind of that kind of intensity has kind of weaned, but you know we, we have to be we have to understand that that our unbelieving friends are lost. Uh, C.s. Lewis said it this way. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Doesn't that describe most of your unbelieving friends, your unbelieving relatives? It does mine. And so, you know, and that's why Jesus warned people about eternal punishment all the time. And we need to pray that we would have that concern for them you know jesus said i am the way i am the truth and the life and nobody comes to the father except through me jesus is the only way and so levi cared so much that he came up with a strategy and a plan you get a better feel for this when you read luke's account of the same story who mentions levi holding a great banquet At his house for a large crowd. So he must have been very wealthy. But he threw a great banquet. And of course. Banquets and feasts is a biblical picture. Of intimacy with the Lord. Of a saving relationship. I, I love what Isaiah says. Isaiah 25. Verse 6. And Isaiah 55. Verse 1. On this mountain the Lord of hosts. Will make for all people a feast. Of rich food. A feast of well aged wine of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well we find. Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Then, of course, Jesus picks up on this theme in Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast. Verse 4, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat and cattle are slaughtered, and everything is ready. And this brings me to the second question Paul Levy proposed in his Table Talk article: Would you like to come to church? Now, the Bible describes the church as the household of God in Ephesians, and the household of God that comes to worship is a foretaste of the great banquet Jesus describes in Matthew. 22 and Isaiah prophesied about in, in Isaiah prophesied about worship is like coming to a great feast and so you have to seize the opportunity to rub shoulders with your unbelieving friends with your non-Christians if you're going to reach anybody and many of your opportunities are right there in front of you simply invite your friends and acquaintances to church for worship So how are we following? Now in the closing, notice a third party at Levi's house, the Pharisees. And they think Jesus and his disciples are doing evangelism completely the wrong way. Eating with sinners and tax collectors. Are you kidding? Now the word sinner in our text refers to a class of people who were regarded by the religious elite as inferior because they did not follow the Pharisaic interpretation of God's holy law, the Torah. So by eating with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus would engage in intimate fellowship with them, something that was completely unacceptable by the Pharisees, because it meant that they would become ceremonially unclean and could not participate in the religious rituals of the temple worship. And therefore, Jesus responds to their criticism with a common Jewish proverb, when he says it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And with this proverb, he very clearly addresses their criticism, very obvious address of their criticism. He basically says, well, only when you realize you are sick, do you seek out a physician. And the physician in turn spends his time helping the sick get well. It's pretty obvious. But how can the physician help the sick if he's not willing to get close to the sick? How can the sick get better if they aren't willing to seek out a physician? Is that not the purpose of the physician? To heal the sick. But you see, you consider yourself healthy. You don't need a physician, or at least you don't think you need a physician. And this is why Jesus adds to this proverb a spiritual interpretation to reveal his messianic mission. When he says, in a nutshell, I am the great physician, and I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. No, no, he says to the Pharisees, I don't spend time with these people because I condone their sin. I spend time with them because they recognize their need of me. They're terminally ill. And their need of me as the one who can heal them of their terminal illness. So those, are the, those that are righteous do not need to repent. They do not need saving. But then who is righteous? Righteous. None of us. Only God is righteous. The Pharisees were self-righteous and therefore did not recognize their need and their need of the ultimate physician, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So this story makes clear that the invitation by Jesus for healing and restoration is for those who recognize they have no righteousness of the realm. The invitation does not make sense for those who are self-righteous. And this brings us to to two questions. Whose word are you going to believe? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Levi chose to listen to the voice of Jesus instead of the Pharisees. Now, there are many voices competing for your attention and loyalty today. Some are religious voices. Some are very secular voices. But these voices are out there. We have an opportunity to introduce people to the voice of God by exposing them to this word. So, Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So, whose voice are you going to listen to? Whose words are you going to believe? Now, the second question brings us back to Paul's Levi's article, which is his last question. Would you like to read the Bible, God's Word? Would you like to listen to God's voice? Uh, you know, I think Nathan was sharing with me that he's about to invite people over to his house, a refugee from yeah. Afghanistan, and he was asking, "Would it be okay for me to read the the, the Christmas story?" I said, "Yes, they will appreciate that." Let God speak. Let him hear God's voice. Uh, Because all of us are disciples of Christ. All of us are called to be people that bring the good news to the world and in your neighborhoods. It's just not me, the pastors or the missionaries. We all have been sent. We all are sent once. We all have those feet that bring the beautiful feet that bring good news. Because we have God's word. Now, in conclusion, uh, Mary Chaplin, a champion of Yugoslavia, wrote a book of whom the world was not worthy. And she tells a story of an evangelist, Yaakov, who wanted to witness to an elderly man called Zimmerman. And this is what she writes. As soon as Jakob began to speak, Zimmerman told him, Jakob, don't talk to me about Christ. I don't believe that Christ is real. And Jacob said, well, tell me why. And Zimmerman explained, do you see those church ministers there with their clerical ropes and big crosses hanging over their chests? I know who they are on the inside. I know the deceit, the power. I know the violence with which they have lived. They preach about Christ. But I watch their life, Jacob. Don't talk to me about this Christ. And so Jacob replied, Zimmerman, what if I broke into your home, stole your coat and boots, and wearing them, robbed the bank? What if the police chased me and couldn't catch me, yet later would come to, to your house to confront you about a crime? What will you say? Well, I would say I didn't do it. Ah, Zimmerman, but What if the police recognized your coats, your boots, and was convinced it had to be you? What would you say? Oh, I know what you're driving at, responded Zimmerman. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me anymore. Days went by. Weeks, months went by. And Jakob kept coming back, living Christ before Zimmerman. And so finally one day, Zimmerman asked Jakob, How do I come to know this Jesus that you proclaim? And Jacob gave him a simple answer. Turn your life over to him, repent of your sin, and commit yourself to him as your Lord and Savior. And so Zimmerman knelt beside Jacob and trusted in Christ. And when he got up from his knees, he embraced Jacob and said, Thank you for being in my life. You wear the coat of Christ very well a question we have to ask ourselves, how are we wearing the coat of Christ? How does our life reflect our Savior? So, would you like to come for dinner? Would you like come come and let me introduce me to my family, to who I am, what I have. Would you like to come to church? Let me introduce you to my my other family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And would you like to read the Bible? Would you like to hear the voice of God? So, hopefully, this will encourage you to think about how you can, like Levi, use your life as an instrument of God's grace and as an instrument of God's power to introduce people to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, that we have heard your voice, that we heard our name called by our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit regenerating us unto life through faith and repentance so we could follow our Lord and Savior. So we could learn from Him, so we could learn from one another, so we could become part of the Church, His bride. And I do pray, Father, that as this great gift that has been given unto us, Lord, that we would be excited that we would think purposely about how to share that gift with an unbelieving world. Right where you have called us to be in the job that you have given to us. Lord, give us grace and help us, Father, to share our lives with others. And I pray for your blessing upon this congregation. May they truly be salt and light here in Williamsburg. In Jesus' name, Amen.